Second Peter chapter 1 and Matthew chapter 16. Today we begin a new book. Woohoo! Okay, this is a tough crowd. Today we begin a new book. That's awesome. There we go. We just finished up 1 Peter and we're beginning 2 Peter. Go figure. Uh, we're blazing through the New Testament, don't you see? Today we're going to cover all of verse 1. Yeah. Yeah, I, I thought we'd actually take a, a, a service to take a step back and get the big picture, right? We try to do this at the beginning of most of the books, uh, to step back from the trees and, and see a bit more of the forest, to get an overview, to kind of get the grid, figure out where it is that Peter is going with this second book. Okay, so this morning will be a lot of primer for this book. It'll be familiarizing ourselves with maybe some of the themes and the context of it. Uh, I'll give you an outline of the book. And then, eventually, we will exposit all of verse 1. Yeah. So, first of all, Peter's purposes for writing the book. Why is he going to the trouble of writing this book? Well, the first thing that we probably should mention is this. This is Peter's farewell. This is the last communique that we have from him. Uh, Look at chapter 1, verse 13, and you'll see it. He says, yes, I think it is right as long as I am in this tent to stir you up by reminding you, knowing that shortly I must put off my tent, just as our Lord Jesus Christ showed me. It says that our Lord Jesus Christ showed me. Do you remember when that happened? John 21, right after Jesus restored Peter into the ministry and said, by the way, feed my sheep, feed my lambs. He said, look, right now when you're young, you get to pretty much gird yourself and go wherever you want but there's coming a time when you will be led places that you don't want to go referring to Peter's uh, death that that Peter would die as a martyr so somehow Peter is sensing that okay Uh, yes I think it is right as long as I am in this tent to stir you up by reminding you knowing that shortly I must put off my tent just as our Lord Jesus Christ showed me moreover I will be careful to ensure that you always have a reminder of these things after my decease Peter's speaking of his soon coming death, and he speaks as though speaking about a tent, saying, I will put off the tent. We understand that's a euphemism for death, right? Paul spoke the same way. I think it was in Corinthians. The same concept, both of these spiritual giants, if you want to call them that, thought of this Christian life as one long camping trip. How many of you, that sounds awesome? Okay, not me. Um, Their their thought was, look, our our life is a journey and and we're not here for that long. And our bodies are like tents, when you think about it. Temporary. They wear out with use. They're not much to look at. Okay, some of you are like, speak for yourself. They provide a, a modicum of protection from the elements. The older they get... The saggier they get, the more they leak. (laughs) Don't laugh too hard, you'll give yourself away. But both Paul and Peter, they looked at life like a journey in tents. And they looked at death as the glorious day when you get to pull up stakes for the last time 
and spend your first night in the mansion that your brother built for you. How awesome is that? They look at death as that first night where you finally get the full amenities. A nice hot shower, no more sagging, no more leaking, all of that. So this is Peter's swan song. Much like 2 Timothy is Paul's swan song, right? But lest we put too much emphasis on that, Peter is not really writing this letter so much to say bye-bye, but to say beware. That's the, the place that Peter's going here. You may remember 1 Peter. Actually, let's test you. Let's quiz you. 1 Peter was written to a church facing persecution. All right. Some of you were paying attention. Good for you. They, it was written for, for a church that was facing trouble, serious trouble from the outside. Well, 2 Peter is written about a year and a half later. Persecution, by the way, is still raging. But to add to the trouble from the outside, now there is false doctrine on the inside of the church. False teachers inside the church. The foxes, if you will, are inside the hen house. The wolves are inside the sheepfold. And Peter knows that's bad. Come on, be gracious to me. (laughs) Peter's primary purpose for this letter, knowing his own death is approaching, is to warn the sheep that he has been charged with that there is false doctrine, that they need to, to be wise, they need to be careful. If you're looking for a title for the whole series of Second Peter, what, where Peter's going as a whole, it would be this. Staying true in the face of falsehood. That's what Peter's trying to accomplish uh, for us as he's departing this world. He wants to help us to learn how to stay true in the face of falsehood. Again, you may remember from John chapter 21 that Peter was specifically commissioned by Jesus to feed my lambs. He says, tend my sheep, feed my sheep. So now, Peter, the under-shepherd, is now giving his last instructions to the flock. And he says, look, there are some wolves in wool coats among you. He says, I want you to understand exactly what they mean when they say, we'd like to have you over for dinner. He says, I want to make sure that your eyes are open about these things. If, if you're looking for an outline for the letter, I've got one for you. I think it's actually pretty easy to see. And, and oddly enough, it actually follows the, the chapters fairly easily, which is not always the case. If Peter's message, if the overarching message is staying true in the face of falsehood, I think we see him accomplish this in three ways in the three chapters. You ready? Chapter 1, he reminds us of some things. He reminds us of some things in chapter 1. In chapter 2, he rebukes the false teachers. And as we look at it, you're going to see it's scathing rebuke. Probably some of the harshest rebuke that you'll find in the New Testament. So uh, chapter 1, he reminds. Chapter 2, he rebukes. And chapter 3, he reassures us that Jesus is returning, just like he said he was. Okay, he reminds, he rebukes. And then in chapter 3, he reassures. Okay. Backing up now. Since today we are beginning chapter 1, let me give you an outline for chapter 1. You want an outline for chapter 1? Yeah. <laughs> All right. <laughs> chapter 1. 
Paul, uh, Peter combats false teaching by reminding us of some things. And I'm going to show you some different things that he reminds us of. Again, this is kind of just over, overview. Um, matter of fact, let me show you where I'm getting this from. You guys, uh, you guys say the word remind or reminding or reminder and see if, if I'm on to something here. First Peter, or Second Peter, that's going to happen for a couple of weeks. I'm going to say First Peter. I mean Second Peter. Second Peter, chapter 1, verse 12, you guys say the reminder kind of words. For this reason, I will not be negligent to remind, remind you always of these things, though you know and are established in the present truth. Yes, I think it is right, as long as I am in this tent, to stir you up by reminding you, knowing that shortly I must put off my tent, just as our Lord Jesus Christ showed me. Moreover, I will be careful to ensure that you always have a reminder of these things after my decease. Something that's really important in combating falsehood is being reminded. How many of you Remember, even if you've, you've been around for, for generations, how many of you remember your parents saying something so often that you could finish the sentence for them? Yeah? For, in my house, it went like this. My dad would say, do you know how much this would cost you in a restaurant? And I would be thinking, no, but you're going to tell me. That thing that they say over and over and over again, so much that you can finish the sentence for them. Um, I, somebody brought up a great point at, in the break and said, you know what, jingles work that way, the same way, right? You get that song in your head and you can't get it out, right? And it keeps that information fresh in your mind, whether you like it or not, right? When you're a kid and you hear that, you're like, oh, dad, I get it, I get it. It's, it seems frustrating, right? But listen, there is no better friend of learning than repetition. No better friend of learning than repetition. Let me repeat that. There is no better friend of learning than repetition. As a matter of fact, again, the reason that you remember what your parents said this many years later is because it was repeatedly drilled into your noggin. I used to feel bad about, as, as a preacher, used to feel bad about repeating a concept or an illustration. I don't anymore. I, I get it. Um, if it works for Peter, the, an apostle, I think I'll subscribe to the same philosophy. Matter of fact, when you think about it, the Gospels, four different accounts of the same story, and much of it is what? Repeated. That's because, have I said this yet? There's no better friend of learning than repetition. Repetition is not your enemy. It is the friend of learning. As Peter's tent then is about to fold up, he wants his lessons to live on. And the way that he, one of the ways he does that is by all of chapter 1, he is constantly reminding us of the truth. Now, quickly, let me show you this outline of chapter 1, as it appears to me. Um, this is how Second Peter chapter 1 breaks down, how it unfolds um, over the next you know, two years as we cover it. No. Um, verse, verses 1 through 4, Peter is going to remind us of our riches 
in Christ. If you were to look, look there, you see he's talking about reminding us of how rich we are in Christ Jesus. And this is really important because, I don't know if, you, if you're aware of it, but the way false religions, the way false teachers work, the way cults work, they work from the premise that you are somehow impoverished. That you just don't have everything that you need. That they, they approach you like this, well, bless your heart, you just don't have the same insights that we do. So if you just stick with us, you know, we'll, we'll guide you along the path and, and we'll help you not be so impoverished. If you're just willing to unlearn the things that, that you know about the Bible, we'll enrich you. That's the way they operate. So Peter says in verses 1 through 4, I'm going to remind you how rich you already are in Christ. Okay, verses 5 to 11, Peter reminds us of our responsibility with those riches. If you see, you just take a cursory glance, you'll see he says, look, I want you to add to your faith virtue, to virtue knowledge, to knowledge self-control, and he goes on and on. He says, look, it's not enough just to know that you're rich. He says, one of the things that will help you to remain true, to stay true in the face of falsehood, is to grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord, right? To grow, to add to this precious faith that you have. Um, the way I thought of illustrating that is we've been talking lately, actually on Thursday we talked about how weeds, uh, we, we, we used it as a, as a kind of an illustration for the way worry happens. Um, worry is like weeds, right? It just pops up. You don't have to do much to have worry pop in your head. Um, so we've been talking some about weeds and I got to thinking, how many of you have, maybe I better not ask, um, if you have a really great lawn, if you have a, like a St. Augustine lawn that's actually well watered and it's well taken care of and stuff, you don't have to worry that much about weeds because the lawn is, itself is so, you're like, really? That's what I hear because I, I wouldn't know. Because the lawn itself is so thick and rich that it actually helps uh, cut out some of the weeds. Here's my point. It was probably a long way to go to get it. Weeds have a much harder time building up in grass that's growing healthy, right? So that's what he says. Look, not only realize that you're rich, but understand that you have a responsibility to continue to grow so that you can be true in the face of falsehood, okay? Look at verse 16 and 18, and we'll see that Peter reminds us of the reality of the gospel. Let me just read that to you. Verse 16, For we did not follow cunningly devised fables when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. This is Peter writing. The one who went up on the mountaintop and saw Jesus take off his uh, humanity and sh show his uh, divinity through. Right, uh, Verse 17, For he received from God the Father honor and glory when such a voice came to him from that, the excellent glory, same, same scene, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And we heard this voice which came from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. Peter's point, one of the things he's going to probably beat into us so that we can stay true in the face of falsehood. Look, we're talking about a real thing. A real period of time where God became man 
and came and conquered death for us, and I saw it with my own eyes. That's another really important thing when you're facing falsehood, is to remember, we're not talking about some uh, helpful psychological mumbo-jumbo. We're talking about a real thing that really had hundreds of eyewitnesses. Paul talks about it in 1 Corinthians 15, says there was 500 witnesses that saw him come back. And at the time, he, saw, he said, you could check with many of them. Um, so, 16 to 18, Peter reminds us of the reality of the gospel. And then the last part of this chapter that we'll get to, again, you know, within the next two years, I'm sure. Verses 19 to 21, Peter reminds us of the reliability of the word. Verse 19, And so we have the prophetic word confirmed, which you do well to heed as a light that shines in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts, knowing this first, that no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation, for prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. Peter basically saying, Look, no matter what guys tell you, you know, uh, some hotshot preacher comes and says, well, I know that, you know, the word says this, but it means something completely different. It's like, no, you stick to the word because the word is sure. Holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. The reliability of the word. Okay, everybody got it? That's the grid, the big grid of the whole book, and then the little grid of chapter 1. So you guys ready to now dig into the text? To begin blazing through this book? Okay, here we go. Second Peter chapter 1, verse 1. Simon Peter, a bondservant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained like precious faith with us, that is the apostles, by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. First, let's just take a couple minutes here to, to remind ourselves the theme of the book. Reminding, right? Remind ourselves about this man, the author, Simon Peter, the first two words. Simon, interesting that these two words are together because Simon is his, what, old name, and Peter is the new name that Jesus gave him. You guys remember the scene, right? Jesus comes to the seashore and says, your name is Simon, but I'm going to call you Peter. And Peter means rock, rock steady, dependable. And don't you think Peter's fishing buddies are like, I'm not sure, but I, I thought he was the Messiah, but if he thinks that about Peter, I don't know. No, he says, I'm, gonna, I'm calling you Rock, and I'm going to call you Rock Steady. Um, these two names, Simon and Peter, juxtapose for us in this very first two words. They should speak to us, they should remind us of what Jesus can do in a person. Spending time with the Lord, the creator of the universe, what that can do in a person's life. Again, what we know about Simon, and we could truly, you know me, I could probably talk for three or four sermons about Simon and his old nature, right? Fickle, flighty, flaky, unsteady, unpredictable, a roller coaster trajectory through life. Matter of fact, let's do that. Let's remind you of one particular scene. Matthew 16. Matthew chapter 16. Remind you one more time of Simon. This is just one of many scenes where he put his foot in his mouth and he had the roller coaster trajectory. Matthew 16, verse 13. When Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, so he's, he's got his disciples with him, 
He asked his disciples, saying, Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? So they said, Well, some say John the Baptist, some Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But Jesus says to them, But who do you say that I am? By the way, we'll just take a couple seconds to always point that out. That is the question that every person who breathes God's air has to answer. Who do you say that Jesus is? Is he just a a great man, a miracle worker, or is he who he says he is, God with skin on? But who do you say that I am? And verse 16, Peter does an awesome job. Simon Peter answered and said, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus answered and said to him, verse 17, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven has revealed this to you. This is a cause for celebration. Jesus is like, "Mm, yeah, awesome. See, I knew I was right calling you rock. And he he goes on and he says, from now on, right, we're calling you Peter, rock. And on this rock, that is your confession, the fact that you get it, that you understand that I am the Son of God, I'll build my whole kingdom. And he says, And I'll give you the keys to that kingdom, verse 19. So things are going pretty well for Peter right now, wouldn't you say? Okay, read on. (laughs) Just give it a little time. Verse 21. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised the third day. Then Peter... Then Peter took him aside and began to rebuke the Lord of the universe. (laughs) Again, Jesus, uh, Peter coming up to Jesus, puts his arm around him. Hey, let me, let me talk to you privately. You know, uh, now that you've made me your vice president, I'm the chief operating officer. I just want to share with you some of the insights that I've, I've learned in these last couple of verses. These last couple minutes, verse 22, Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall not happen to you. Think he thinks he's doing a great thing. It's like, I'm not going to let this happen to you. Not on my watch. (laughs) He says, now this whole Jerusalem thing, this this idea that you're going to go and be crucified. No, no, I, I don't agree. I'm vice president now and I vote no. I mean, I just said that you were the son of God, Jesus. Were you not listening? Verse 23, but he turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are an offense to me. You are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of man. Roller coaster. So high, he's hearing from God. In verse, what, 17, whatever it is. And in six verses, he's now speaking for the devil. And you thought you were unsteady. This man, Peter, Simon, you look at Simon, not Peter, you look at Simon and you see unsteady, unqualified, undependable, unhumble, unhinged. We said it last time, his motto, ready, fire, aim. (laughs) But Jesus had changed him, changed his name. He says, look, I get it, you're Simon, but I'm calling you Peter. That's the name I'm calling you to. I want you to be rock. I want you to be dependable, solid. I'm praying for you, Peter, and I know this is going to turn out the way that I demand it to be. 
as Peter followed his Lord, you guys know the rest of the story, hopefully, that he grew into his name. Right? He became, I think if you asked the people, especially at this last writing, if you asked all the people around him, they're like, well, he's less and less like Simon and he's more and more like Peter every day. Now, hold that thought. The fact that there's Simon and Peter and Peter's acutely aware of both things, but that he is now so much more like Peter than he was like Simon. Can you hold that thought for me? Okay. Go back now to our text, Second Peter chapter 1. Verse 1 says, Simon Peter, a bondservant and apostle of Jesus Christ. Now watch this. To those who have obtained like precious faith with us. Believe it or not, what I think this is my third outline in one message. I got one more outline for you if you want. I have an outline, believe it or not, for this one verse. I don't even know if I've ever done that before. Got an outline for one verse. Here it is. If you're, if you're taking notes. Number one, you are included. I'll explain that in a minute. Number two, you're included if he's imputed his righteousness for you. Number three, we're going to talk about the new you. And number four, we want to talk about your new view. All right, hopefully this will make sense. Notice, verse one again, Simon Peter, a bondservant and apostle of Jesus Christ to those who have obtained, notice this, like precious faith. That, that phrase, like precious, is isotomos, and it's a compound word, and listen to what it means. Equally precious. Equally expensive. Equally honored. The word obtained there, do you see that word? It's the same word they would use to cast lots. Uh, it's where a seemingly random situation, God's will prevails to cast lots. Um, right? Uh, if we were, you know, on a pirate ship and we were going to cast lots to see who had to walk the plank, right? You would go, oh, I guess I'm the one that God picked. Okay? Now follow me here. You have obtained, he's, speak, he's writing this to us, and he says, you have obtained like precious faith. Here's where I'm going. How many of you would be honest and say that sometimes you get a little jealous of Peter and Paul and the guys in the Bible. Like they hit the spiritual lotto. Right? It's like you're thinking, well, yeah, okay, I get it. Peter was a fisherman, you know, kind of a nobody just like me. I get it that he was unsteady and that he was undependable and he was unreliable and he was a roller coaster just like I am. But come on, he hit the, the spiritual lotto. He got to spend three full years with the Lord Jesus in person. If you've ever thought that way, do you notice in this verse? This says that you have obtained by lot, seemingly random, the same exact precious, expensive, extravagant faith that Peter has. Do you see it? The verse says then, if, if you'll follow me, Verse says that you drew the, out of the, you know, the, lo, the lotto that happens through all of history, the straw that you drew is the exact same length as Peter's. That he has no advantage over you. 
the straw that you drew is exactly the same size as the one that Peter drew. Verse 1, Simon Peter, a bondservant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have seemingly randomly obtained this awesome, super expensive faith. Y'all, this is huge to me. We are at no disadvantage to Peter or Paul. Any of these, these folks that we read about. The word precious again means expensive. Have you thought about the fact that Jesus paid the same price for your saving salvation that he did for Peter's? And have you thought about the, the positive flip side that this means for you? This means absolutely any change that he made in Peter, he is willing and able and wants to make in you. Every time you look at Simon Peter and he put his foot in his mouth, right? And you go, yep, that's me. I'm like Simon. Every time you do that, every time you, you, you say to yourself, well, I'm so Simon, please remember that Simon isn't Simon anymore. He's Simon Peter. Every time you tell yourself, well, I'm just, I'm just Simon and there's no hope for me. No, no. You are Peter. That means Jesus has called you by name. He's given you a new name. He's given you a new nature. And he expects, he is working in you that thing which only he can do. You say, I'm unsteady. Jesus says, be rock steady. So the first thing I kind of want you to know from just this verse is this. You are included in the same precious faith, the same awesome power, we're going to see that in the next time, that the same awesome power that's available to Peter is available to you. You hit the lotto. You are in the club. Except I need to make one small, actually it's pretty huge, adjustment to that. You're only included if he has imputed to you. His righteousness. It goes on, verse 1. Simon Peter, a bondservant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained like precious faith with us, and here's how it happened, by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. By the way, just as an aside, hope I don't lose you, but just as an aside, the Greek grammar here, the way that the sentence is, is uh, worked out, it's very, very clear. Anyone who knew what they were talking about in Greek, I don't, but I understand this is true, is that, those last few words, God and Savior Jesus Christ, that Peter's talking about the one and the same person. It's all one word. It's, in other words, it's one phrase, one concept. Our God and Savior, he's both. Jesus Christ. A clear indicator of the deity of Jesus Christ. But back to Peter's main point here. That to be included in the like precious faith, to be in the club, to hit the lotto, you must have his righteousness imputed to you. Now, what does the word imputed mean? It's a fancy word. It's awesome. Uh, 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 someone visited this for the first service, and I used the word imputed, and it turned out I was right. So that was good. Uh, he was an accountant, and I, I mentioned, look, the word imputed is an accounting term. It means to, to credit, to put in someone's column that uh, which... It may or may not have belonged there in the first place, but it's to give credit 
or to put in someone's column that uh, which, which you desire to do. Let me give you an example. If you wanted to, you could write a $5,000 check and have it imputed to my bank account. You're welcome to do that anytime. Um, imputed. It means then to, to drop in, to put in the same uh, column. Okay? Here's the point. The only way that you are included in this like precious faith that so many of us enjoy is if His righteousness is imputed to you. If His righteousness goes in your column, you're good to go. If His righteousness is what God sees when He looks at your accounting book, you are good to go. Now, how does that happen? How can I have Jesus' righteousness imputed to me? It's very simple. Number one, realize you are a sinner. In other words, realize that you are bankrupt. You've got nothing. Realize that on your own, your column has no righteousness in it. If anything, it's an ugly mess. Realize that you are a sinner, you're bankrupt, that your own righteousness is like filthy rags before him. That's number one. Number two, repent. That is, turn your direction. Turn to Jesus. Turn away from your sin and just turn to Jesus. And ask him to impute his righteousness to your account. The Bible says that all we like sheep have gone astray. Everyone on our very best day, our column is completely empty. But those of us who are walking with him, it's because we have asked him to impute his righteousness to us. We've surrendered our lives and he has done just that. The Bible says, Jesus says, look, if you come to me and surrender, I will not turn you away. So that's how you have him impute his righteousness to you. You just ask him to come into your life. You surrender and he will forgive you and impute that righteousness to you. Okay? When, when you do that, his death on the cross goes to your account. He died so that you wouldn't have to. Okay? And when all that happens, then you are in the club. Probably a terrible way to, to phrase it, but you know what I mean. It's like you've hit the, the spiritual lotto and we're going to see the riches that you, uh, that you come into in the next uh, few verses when we get there next year. Okay, so we're, we're hopefully going to move a lot quicker now in the outline. Verse uh, 1, so far I've told you that you're included, that is if you're a believer, if he has imputed his righteousness to you. Number 3, let's talk real quick, okay, sort of quick, about the new you. And then we'll talk about your new view. Look at it, uh, let's back up, verse 1. Simon, Peter, we've talked about that some, right? These two words, Simon, and Peter. Simon's the old guy. Peter's the new guy. We know, maybe even some of you are bored with the stories about Peter's transformation because they're so well documented, right? We know that he wasn't worthy. We know he was not humble. We know he was not steady, not dependable. All of those things. Here's the point that I'm hoping you're getting from all of this mesh together is this. If you are a believer you have obtained like precious faith with Him. So as we start to move into application, here's my question for you. How do you look at those, those first two words of this book, Simon, Peter? Do you look at him as an outsider? Saying, well, he was a loser and God made him a winner. Good for him. 
Or do you look at them as Peter intends for you to look at them as a fellow transformee? Because that's what Peter's saying here. Look, I, I, I got nothing special. I, got, I didn't hit any, any lotto compared to you. When you look at the word Simon Peter, this week your application is this. Ask yourself, if he can do that with Simon and turn him into Peter, why not with me? Let me make it sting a little more. That's what, I, that's what I'm good at. I wonder how many people in the room have given up on the new you. You've just settled for, I'm always going to kind of be Simon. I know he's called me to be Peter, but I'm just going to settle and be Simon. I mean, I tried. I tried for a few years. tried for a while. But, I don't know. It's just it's too hard. I'm just going to be Simon. I hope that's as convicting as it is to me. If that's you, I want you to remember a couple things. Y'all, it took Peter a long time too. You go through and you see how he was in the Gospels. And then you see how he is in in the book of Acts. And you're like, okay, well, that's a lot better. And then you read uh, Paul's letters. And you find out that Paul had to rebuke Peter to his face because of some stupid stuff that he did. What that tells me is that it's a lifelong process. The Bible talks about changing us from glory to glory. And from from where we are to where he wants us to be. And he he never, as far as I can tell, never says, hey, it's going to be like that. It's a constant thing. But the question is, where's your mindset? Are you like, yeah, I'm just going to be Simon? Or hopefully this morning you're being reminded and renewed in that, you know what? I act like Simon, but he calls me Peter. I want to be more and more like Peter and less and less like Simon. If, if, I, if I've rung your bell here this morning just now, realize that Jesus knew what he was doing when he called you. And he's still working. And if you've kind of lost that, that passion, that fire, repent. Cry out. Ask for forgiveness and you will receive it. Keep growing into your new name. Maybe that's your application this morning. Okay, you're included if he's imputed. We just talked about the new you. And lastly, let's talk real quick about Peter's new view, which also should be ours. You see it, chapter 1, verse 1, Simon Peter, a bondservant and apostle of Jesus Christ. Looking back on the old Simon, how would you have expected him to have started this letter early on? Hello, Peter. This is Peter writing to you from my office at the Pope's desk. Simon Peter, Pope. Simon Peter, mighty apostle. Simon Peter, all of you will bow down to me one day. No, what's he say here? Simon Peter, a bondservant, that is, slave and apostle of Jesus Christ. And some of you are like, well, if he was all that humble, why did he even say he was an apostle? Remember, this is an official letter, right? It's going out to not just one, but lots and lots of churches. Um, probably necessary to, to say, look, this is doctrine. This isn't just you know me writing a nice letter. I, I don't think that Peter would write his mom saying, 
Uh, Hi, Mom, this is uh, Simon Peter, Apostle. (laughs) Right? But he's writing to the whole church here. So, But notice before that, before he says, I'm an apostle, he says, I'm a slave. Peter's new view of himself, first and foremost, a slave, a bondservant. Slave and then sent one. That's what apostle means. One who is sent out with a message. And again, not to belabor it, but that is also a huge shift in thinking of the way Peter used to think. Remember? Peter, we just saw the, the scene in Matthew 16. Peter's like, well, I'm the vice president now, you know. All, just that quickly assuming that kind of uh, haughtiness, that, that, that high view of himself. We know that Peter was one of the, the twelve that constantly argued about who was going to be the greatest in the kingdom. We remember that Peter was the one who said uh, on the night of Jesus' uh, betrayal, look, all of these other losers, they're going to let you down, but not me. Not me, Jesus. He's like, you stick with me. I'll make sure that we get through this together. Right? That kind of view of himself was how Peter was. But now his new view, Simon Peter, a bondservant, us, just a slave, an apostle of Jesus Christ. Now we know, once again, this is a, I didn't write this down anywhere, so, but I guess the Lord wants me to mention it now. Back to the, the idea of the, the lotto. Well, you know, Peter had it so much easier than us, right? Well, no, actually, Peter spent a lot more time with the invisible Jesus than he did with the visible Jesus. Three and a half years with the visible Jesus, and then the last however many years it was with the invisible. And he did all the growing with the invisible Jesus. You see that? But here's my point. Peter's new view of himself, once again, was brought about by being in Christ Jesus, uh, fellowshipping with him, getting to know him. Because what he saw in Jesus, uh, by way of example, before he left, Jesus washed feet. Feet of people who were arguing about who was going to be the greatest. And he saw Jesus leading by example to be the first lamb to the slaughter. He saw Jesus leading by example when Jesus forgave him after he had blown it so bad. Peter basically then, as he opens this letter, wants us to remember Look, here's another change that the Lord made in me. I don't, I don't think of myself as the grand poobah anymore. I am just a slave and one who is sent out. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. We thank you for your mercy, your goodness. I thank you for these, the sheep, Lord, that um, you have gathered here in this sheepfold. I ask, Lord, that you'd uh, guide and direct us. Help us, Lord. We want to... Uh, We want to not just be hearers, but doers of your word. We love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.